Welcome everyone to this evening's meditation service. Tonight's talk is entitled, Don't Be Pusillanimous. Don't Be Pusillanimous. <laughs> and I, I should mention a few words about uh, that very interesting word, pusillanimous. Now some of you may know that word as pusillanimous. But in Europe, uh, probably the countries where it originated, they pronounce it pusillanimous. Now, some people say that when someone is making the uh, derogatory expression, don't be a pussy, that what they really mean is don't be pusillanimous. And that certainly is accepted by some folks to, to mean that. However, if you look at the origin of the word, it seems to go back to the idea of a cat. So you find this word in Arabic and you find other languages and it's basically pronounced puss. And, and it refers to the idea of a cat in two forms. One being very skittish, someone, you know, a creature that is very quick, you know, and is easily moved. Uh, I was on the back patio with Sir Basil yesterday and he saw something move. <laughs> And he he uh, hissed and reared up, and turns out it was just my shoe. But that's the idea that it originally came from. And then uh, during one of the world wars, if a fighter pilot used cloud cover in order to take out his enemy, that was called a pussy move. And so it became known from that point forward that if you did something that was a little bit uh, not directly confrontative, but something that sort of circumvented, that was, that was a pussy move. Um, some people have said, you know, in our, our, our jargon today, pussy is used as a sort of a vulgar analogy for, uh, some people wouldn't consider it vulgar, I guess, but analogy for the female vagina. But honestly, the word never had a connection to that. Um, the closest would be the idea of a pocket, like a kangaroo's pocket, uh, mother kangaroo, or a purse, or a satchel. That's actually somewhere where the word purse comes from as well. So I thought I would just clear that up. <laughs> and when I'm saying don't be pussillanimous, what I'm saying is what the word originally meant. And it comes from, it comes from a Latin word which means uh, coda. And it means tail. And that's a reference to the reaction of a frightened animal with its tail between its legs. So it means don't be pusillanimous. And I believe that one of the main messages that the Buddha was saying to us is don't be pusillanimous. Be courageous. Now what does that mean exactly? Well, let us explore. Let's start by reading from the sutras. These are words attributed to Shakyamuni Buddha. Though one may conquer a thousand times a thousand men in battle, yet he indeed is the noblest victor who conquers himself. Self-conquest is far better than the conquest of others. Not even an angel, devil, or god can turn into defeat the victory of a person who is self-conquered and ever-disciplined in conduct. 
Let me read another passage. It is in times of distress that a man's courage is to be understood, and that too after a long time, not casually, but by close attention, not by inattention, but by a wise man, not by one weak in wisdom. And then this next passage, uh, I think, is very important. But I do want to say something, because it says the word Lord. It uses the word Lord. And one of the things that most people don't realize is that uh, in the ancient sutras or holy scriptures of Buddhism, uh, Shakyamuni is referred to as Lord. Sometimes Lord Buddha or just Lord, which in the uh, Sanskrit is, is Bhagavan. And uh, this, this meaning of Lord as it applied to Shakyamuni uh, basically was just uh, saying that uh, in him uh, people saw what was known as the Lord of the house. So when Shakyamuni was referring to the five skandhas, or the things that form our ego self, that was called the house. And the true self is known as the lord of the house. And what the practice does, it takes apart the negative conditioning of that house and rebuilds a house, as it were, on the firmer foundation of the true self. So when I use the word lord, I'm referring to the true self. Let's continue with uh, another sutra. Lord for the lordless, courage giver for the frightened, resting place for the exhausted, refuge for those seeking refuge. One more. This is what the Blessed One said. Having said this, the fortunate one, the teacher, further said this. In a forest, at the foot of a tree, or an empty hut, O oh, disciples, you should recollect the Buddha. No fear will then arise in you. But if you cannot recall the Buddha, best in the world, the bull of men, then you should recall the Dharma, emancipating and well-expounded. But if you cannot recall the Dharma, emancipating, well-expounded, then you should recall the Sangha, the unsurpassed field of merit. For those who thus recall the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, no fear or trepidation will arise, nor any grisly terror. And finally, i like to offer a reading from a modern sort of sutra. And this is a passage uh, from a song by uh, Eric Clapton and Steve Winwood. I have finally found a place to live, just like I never could before. And I know I don't have much to give, but soon I'll open any door. Everybody knows the secret. Everybody knows the score. I have finally found a place to live in the presence of the Lord. So when we're talking about how not to be pusillanimous and how to have courage, what seems to be very clear from the sutras and the writings 
is that we are to take refuge in our true selves. And this refuge in our true selves is traditionally known as refuge in the three treasures, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. Now, how is that accomplished exactly? Well, if we look at the, the meaning of the refuge practice, if we look at the central concept of the refuge practice, we understand, first of all, that fear, or that which would cause us to be pusillanimous, is caused by the anxiety that comes from the sense of separation that the ego self experiences, which essentially is the fear of not being. You know, I think when it, we don't often contemplate it every day, which we shouldn't, that would be a bit morbid. But the reality is our own mortality, the thing that makes us different from the other animals, at least as far as we know, is that we know our mortality. We don't know when, we don't know how, but we know it will. And I believe that behind almost every anxiety we have in life, that at the root of it is the fear of non-being. And I think this fear has two components. One is obviously the fear of death, that this mortal frame will dissolve and what happens next? Will I continue or is that it? And then the other form of fear, which I think is more of a social construct, is the, the will, I, will I matter? Am I a non-being in society? Or do I have being? So I think that's at the root of this sense that we feel. And when we take refuge in the true self, what we're doing is we're saying that this is an affirmation of our being. We're affirming our being as an individuated aspect of universal oneness. When we affirm our being, our personal being, as we say in the precepts, we are taking responsibility for our own life and our own actions. But more than that, we're affirming our being in the face of non-being. In the face of all the things in society that tells us that we are non-being. And this courage transcends the limits of the ego self and the world that is caused by it. And it finds its rest and resource in the depths of our personal being. And that is the power of the true self, which is boundless. And I might add that this is the original meaning of religion. So when we're taking refuge, how can we be courageous? Well, we, the Buddha teaches that the way for us to be courageous is to take refuge in our true self. Refuge in a a boundless, luminous sense of being that transcends all the dualities, all the contingencies, 
and all the transitory aspects of life. And this courage is born of a confidence that arises out of our faith in oneness. Or you might say our faith in Buddha nature, nirvana. And providence is the symbol of the energy of this courage that goes beyond fate and death. And faith, therefore, is not a theoretical affirmation of something uncertain. It is the existential acceptance of something transcending our ordinary experience. It is the state of being grasped by the power of oneness, which transcends everything that is, and in which everything is a participant. As I mentioned before, you know, humans, we worry about social recognition and respect. You know, and some of that comes out of a primal need to belong that, you know, is found in even lower life forms of animals. I say lower, not pejoratively, just recognizing the difference in sentiency. And that this concern can overwhelm us and undermine our personal freedom of expression. And this can seem to separate us both spiritually and from the historical dimensions of life. And what I mean there is that, as I mentioned in my talk uh, that preceded this about, uh, you know, the nature of, of what do we take care of, self-society, what's the order? Ultimately, as I said in a talk earlier than that, for the, for the Buddhist, for the practitioner of the way of mindful living, happiness is freedom. And the only way for us to truly know freedom, according to the Dharma, is to take refuge in this transcendent, boundless, true self. Because that allows us to understand the true nature of the ego self and not to be attached too much or not to have too much aversion to the world of the ego self. And if we do this, then we will be free to express ourselves completely. And I personally believe that that's what the Buddha meant by the idea of our individuated vital aspect of oneness that it is in our expression of ourselves freely that we truly are manifesting our true self in the world of the ego self. So, let me summarize. When we take refuge, whether we call taking refuge something that we're doing uh, in just the statement of our true self, or we talk about the true self as the ground of being, making up the trikaya, or the three treasures, or the three bodies, sometimes is another reference. Not directly, but indirectly to the treasures. This is how to be courageous, to take refuge. So let me summarize. When we take refuge in the Buddha, what we are affirming is that you are accepted 
just as you are, without one plea. No defense. And this is also known as great faith. When we take refuge in the Dharma, what we're saying is that in the state of despair, when we're in despair, there is nobody and nothing that accepts us. And sometimes we may all find ourselves in that place. But refuge here is the power of acceptance itself in the face of non-acceptance. Meaninglessness, as long as it experienced, includes an experience of the power of acceptance. To accept this power of acceptance consciously through faith, which can be described as the absence of any concrete or static content, is the spiritual answer of taking refuge in our true self. And that's also known as great courage. So it's the affirming of ourselves in the face of non-acceptance. And this acceptance for us is an archetype form embodied as Amida Buddha. And finally, refuge in the Sangha. This is the paradoxical self-acceptance which is strengthened in person-to-person -person relationships and practices with a teacher, counselor, or spiritual friend. And what that means is that while it's necessary for us to begin with this taking refuge in our true self and taking refuge in the ground of being and moving into that with with the, the practice of great faith and great courage. It is finally in the refuge of Sangha that we really get to play it out. And it's one thing for me to say, I have faith. In other words, I, you know, the word faith comes from the root word for heart. And what that meant is, uh, the idea that our whole being, sometimes they'll say heart and mind, in Japanese it's kokoro. But I have faith, I have kokoro. And when I have this, it's important for me to experience this not just within myself, but in relationship. And that's what the Sangha ideally serves. It serves as a place for us to refine the experience of our transmogrified ego self. And just like a fire, the pains of life are like a fire that hone us. We are like the, uh, that's where that image comes from, the Buddha sitting among the flames without feeling any, without suffering. And, and this also is the place where we can question everything. And that's why this refuge is also known as the great question. And it's a place where we can process on a daily basis the things that attack our sense of being. And we can have that being affirmed by our spiritual friend, by our teacher. And I don't care who you are. Everyone needs that sometimes. Even if you have 
firmly grounded in your true self, within yourself. We all need, sometimes, a friend. So, that's the meaning of don't be pusillanimous, be courageous.